Say goodbye to restrictive weight loss methods and hello to Iveam, the number one prescriber of GLP-1 medications. GLP-1s curb cravings, stabilize blood sugar, increase energy, and balance A1C levels to regulate your body and kickstart your weight loss journey. Iveam is committed to making medical weight loss accessible, affordable, and customized because we believe that's how it should be. Sign up for free and get 20% off our accessibility programs. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. Everybody. The Plus Sides Podcast where we are focusing on obesity, education, and advocacy. Welcome, welcome. It's cracking the obesity code. That's the things we're going to talk about today. First, we're going to run our mouths a little, let you guys know kind of who we are and how this all came to be. And then after that, we have a special guest and we will introduce him and he will give us lots of really good information around obesity and medications and all the juicy stuff that's in the news. So let's just start here. (laughs) So I'm Kim. I, if you follow me on TikTok, which probably is one of the reasons you're here, my screen name is Dinosaur Monkey Farts. I know it sounds weird. My little boy made it up in 2020 when we were doing digital learning. And it's kind of just become my name. And I, I, it sounds like, I, I mean, I might be really silly and not serious, but like I have my moments. I will likely be all of those things on this podcast. So thanks for joining. <laughs> I, um, just a quick bit about me. I, um, I take a medication called Ozempic. I started my journey last year and I started taking Sex Senda to start. Um, I am obese. I have lost 55 pounds. I used to struggle with a binge eating disorder. And I've become very, very passionate because I found an amazing community on TikTok that is incredibly supportive. And these two ladies happen to be two of those people. And we thought, you know what, let's start a podcast and talk about this because we do want to get the word out so that people can not, well, I guess one, we can remove the stigma around obesity, which we know will take a long time, you know, but there have been many communities that have been successful in this. And that's by getting loud and getting good information and educating others. And then we also want other people who are struggling with obesity, or maybe you love someone that you know is struggling that maybe not want to go to their doctor anymore mm-hmm. because they're afraid they're going to say, oh, it's your fault and you need to eat less and you need to move more. And maybe they've tried everything and maybe they've given up. Yeah. And so we want those people to hear us and let us know that you can go see your doctor and there are treatments now and they're excellent and it's not your fault and you're not alone and we're all here for you. So with all that said, Kat, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Kat. We're all, we're in, well, I'd say we're all in Atlanta. Um, I'm Kat. This is my AT alien. AT alien. 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 <laughs> the show because we're in Atlanta. It's our mascot. So, I feel. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I have, to, I have to say thank you to Dinosaur Monkey Farts, Kim. That's the cutest name. <laughs> oh, I love it. I am Cat Carter 7 on TikTok. I have been very shy with my Monjero because I think I was one of those people that has, there's, there's such a shame behind obesity. I've struggled with it um, all of my life. I have been athletic all of my life. I have loved fitness all of my life. And um, I've been heavy, way heavy set, and maybe curvy set. I've never been slender, which is fine with me because I actually have become kind of, kind of like it. So, but what I'm saying, uh, I guess the the point is, is that um, being in the fitness community, um, it's definitely, we're kind of second thoughts. It was always um, a struggle, even just to find like, say, plus size active wear and things like that. But, Mm -hmm. um, it is the assumption because I carry weight that 
people don't think that I am active. And so that's one of the things that I struggled with, especially um, with physicians going to doctors and asking for help because I have tried every single thing. Um, Overeaters Anonymous, uh, Weight Watchers, everything, everything. Uh, Therapy. And um, it is still, they will just push it away, especially if like, say if, okay, I'm going on a tangent. If you if you're um, physically active, I say, just, we'll just keep doing what you're doing and then just push away from the table. So what I found with this community is um, I felt at first like I was cheating. And so mm-hmm. Kim kind of took me out of my shell um, and I started to, um, I guess, stand up a little bit uh, taller um, and advocating for myself, taking my, um, my health seriously um, and speaking up to my physicians and finding physicians that will help. So I hope that does the same for everybody else out there because uh, I've definitely have found my voice doing this. I'm so glad. We're so glad to have you, Kat. And that was really brave of you. I think it's really brave of everybody to come forward and say, you know what, it's okay that we talk about that because that's the first step in removing stigma. So thank you so much. Jernine, tell us a little bit about you. Hey, everyone. Well, I am the Jernine on TikTok and also the Maljaro flight attendant. And I, yeah, uh, don't ask how I came up with that. But I started... um, experiencing health challenges really back in 2015. And I was uh, diagnosed with uh, type two diabetes in 2016 and tried, uh, my doctor and I were in agreement to try to uh, control it with weight, uh, with, excuse me, with diet and with exercise. However, the pounds just kept coming and I was just bloated. Like, all over my body. Put that on top of being in your late 40s, which I'm now 50, and with hormonal changes and also having an autoimmune disease, I have Sjogren's antibody. So I do see a rheumatologist. So put all of that together and you almost have the perfect medical storm. And after working out, and eating clean, people could tell I, w- I was working out. I could tell, but I still had that visceral fat around my belly. And it wasn't just for like vanity reasons. It was mm-hmm. what is going on. And I kept reading that when you have visceral fat around your belly, that there's something wrong. And it bothered me. So, well, one day I finally got the nerve up on December 19th, 2022, to ask my doctor for help. I said, I need help. I don't know what's going on. This weight is not coming off. I need help. And that's when she told me about Manjaro, Wegovy, and Ozempic. And uh, she prescribed Manjaro for me. I went through the prior authorization process. My PA was approved in three to five minutes. I was actually on hold with the insurance company while it was approved. And I uh, took my first injection on January 17th. I then just scoured social media to try to find information, support resources. And I came upon TikTok and that has been the best decision to make a video to chronicle my journey, not just for Manjaro, but for my evolution and for my health and for my wellness. And it's like none other. And here I am because of dinosaur monkey farts. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. I love it. I mean, I get it. Like, 
I'm I'm so happy that both of you are here to join. But like, in all honesty, I was making TikTok singing and being ridiculous in 2020. Like I, I wasn't doing anything. And and then when I, I did the same thing, I joined and this girl named Rachel, who we're going to have on our show, um, was doing so much and being so brave. And I had a day where it was just like a really rough day. And I felt like I made bad food choices that day, even though I had been doing so well. And I had so much shame around it. You know, I don't try to get emotional, but I'm just that kind of person. And I was just like, I can't believe it. And y'all like legitimately, I had two biscuits. Like I, and I, not, not like biscuits. Mm. And I, I, even though I had done all of these amazing things, it just tanked me. And like all of the mental stuff that stays with you, especially if you've struggled, you know, most of your life in a bigger body, it was just, it was, I just was like, I have to make behavior changes. I have to make behavior changes. And I reached out to her because she was so kind to me and had commented on my videos, you know, and she said to me, you know, I understand what you're going through. And in that moment, she said to me, there's no such thing as good food or bad food. It's just food, you know, and start again tomorrow. You know, it's okay. Like, You had a couple of biscuits and so, okay, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't, in that moment, regardless of that being kind of like evident, I needed to hear it. And then I went and decided, you know what, I'm going to do a live like she did because I'm going to be brave too. Like I'm going to, I'm going to make behavior changes and lifestyle changes and I'm dedicated to this. And on that night, because I talked to her, I went down and said, you know what, I'm going to take control of this. I'm not going, I'm not overeating. I'm going to drink my water and I'm going to go exercise. And then after that, I felt much more back in control of me, you know, Mm -hmm. and I made a video about it, even though I felt shame and embarrassment because I knew that was the only way to make the behavior change to get through it. And instead of beating myself up, you know, in my bed or sitting down and eating more food to try to make myself feel a certain way, I was able to gear shift and with that support. And then when I did, she was so kind that she actually joined my live with me and helped me through it and talked with me about it. And then when I stopped by her live, she invited me into her life. And I just thought, what if we all did that for each other? You know? So yeah. I, I for sure was not the one that was like, hey, let's do this. It's all because somebody did it for me. So I'm really glad that you guys are here and that we're doing it for other people now to create space for them and hopefully able to change things. So thank you so much. Yay, <laughs> um, in terms of like, yeah, I think in terms of like the things that we're going to talk about. So today specifically, our episode is setting the record straight on obesity and type two diabetes. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my story and where I come from, but then we're also going to have Dr. Albert come in and talk a little bit more about those things too. Um, and we'll just tell you all about him because he is one of our favorite doctors on TikTok and he is incredibly intelligent, but he is also a ham just like all of us. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> he is. So back to, so each, each week, just to know how the podcast is going to go each week, we'll have one or two people from our community. And there are a lot of us on TikTok that are taking one of these GLP one medications that is helping change our lives, put us back in control of our health um, and work through a lot of the emotional stuff that we've dealt with as we've been dealing with obesity for however long. Um, And we're also going to talk about, you know, differences around the things in the media where people are saying things like, you're taking a diabetic medication and things like that. And 
is that what this is? No, like it's mm-hmm. not. And so we want to set the record straight on what all of that means today. Right. So in terms of my story, so we'll start with my story, then we'll go to Janine, then we'll go to Kat, and that'll happen every episode. And then we'll continue to bring other people in, as well as our doctors in to back up everything that we are saying with facts and data, because GLP-1 medications have been around for almost 20 years, and we have a lot of data to back it up of why it makes sense to not just use it to treat type two diabetics, but uh, other things too, a lot of other things. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, um, back to my story. I'm going to be a little bumpy with this, so bear with me. (laughs) So I have always been a bigger person. I'm very tall. I was always like the biggest kid in the class. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I pretty quickly learned that when I started getting picked on, that if I was funny and like charming, people just shut up and left me alone. And then they wanted to be my friend. And so I kind of worked away around that, you know? Um, so I'd like to say that I was just born this way, but I'm not, it, it was a lot of work and, you know, but that's how I kind of got through it. But I would tell you that when I was eight years old is when it got pretty bad. And when I started to cope with food, my parents had gone through a divorce when I was very young and then my mom remarried, I guess with a few years after that, um, he was a wonderful stepdad. It was great. Um, but that said, there was still a lot of, you know, emotions that I didn't know how to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. and I ate them. And mm-hmm. I, um, I also started binge eating when I was eight. And uh, before this, it was very hard for me to say that I had never said that out loud. <laughs> Nobody knew about it. And I am the kind of person that has, I have a lot of friends. I really do. I, and I'm very blessed in that way. And I've been very successful in my career, also very blessed in that way. But somehow, even though I had so much ambition and success in all of these other areas of my life, it didn't seem like enough or nearly enough because I couldn't control my food. I'm sorry to get upset. It's just, it is what it is. <laughs> Roll with it, y'all. Woo! All right. So it was very doing fine. And when I, I went to the doctor, I had hurt my back in 2020. And we all know how hell everybody, everybody had problems in 2020. Mm-hmm. But I went to the doctor in 2020 and um, it was hard for me to do it. But I had actually injured my back and I had gone and gotten to be, I gained a ton of weight during that time because I couldn't move. Um, and then I went and was able to get um, some assistance there to get better. And then I was like, all right, I guess it's time to see what, what's going on and have my blood work done and go for physical. And it wasn't looking good good y'all. And she said, let's talk about this. And I had a wonderful uh, nurse practitioner, uh, GP that said, let me tell you about this other stuff. And I was like, Mm -hmm. really nervous about it. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And she did, you know, prescribe um, Sexenda for me. And that was very, very, very helpful. Um, it was a little hard at first because I had to get used to some of the side effects. And I was just like, Janine, I went straight. Because you know where you go for data, y'all? You go to TikTok. So I went to TikTok and I started searching and trying to find like, who's taking this? What is this? I don't know. Right. Now, keep, I'm in marketing. So it's a little weird that I went to social media for like any kind of information. But hearing from people unfiltered, well, maybe not totally unfiltered, like we have the filters. But, you know, hearing like real stories and raw stories and people I could relate with was a really big deal for me. And the mm-hmm. community itself has helped me quite a bit with healing. When I started to get a particular level of the dose, cause I saw appetite suppression pretty quickly, but I thought it was kind of like, you know, every other appetite suppression out there, but it was just giving myself a shot, which terrified me to my core, but it felt like nothing. Once I did it, it was fine. Um, right. But I was very, I was very anxious about it. But then, and then I had this moment and I, I call this my Lord of the Rings moment where all of a sudden 
all the noise in my head turned off like that. And it was so quiet. It was so quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Like those days when it's like really sunny in your house and it's just, you can just hear. Yeah. It was like that in my head. And I thought I have had a stroke. What have I done to myself that all of a sudden I can't hear what's going on anymore and I'm having conversations with myself. And then I realized, oh my God. Is this what normal feels like? Right. I had no idea how noisy it was until it was mm-hmm. off. And that was one of the most powerful moments for me. And I I don't I didn't mention this in the beginning, but going through what I had gone through also with mental health in college, I was actually diagnosed as a bipolar. And they started treating me with a medication called Depakote. And Depakote caused me to gain 100 pounds yep. like that. And yeah. so I'm 27 years old at that point. I didn't know what to do. So I got, I went ahead and was like, okay, well, you know, I'll take, um, I'll take this medicine and get better. I gain all the weight. And then lap band was like all the craze. Right. And right. they eventually approved for me to get that. I lost about 80 pounds. So I did really well on it and kept it off for quite a while. But then I had a couple of miscarriages and then I had my son and everything changed. And now I'm 43 and everything has continued to change and name much budget anymore. You know, so and lap bands, we also know now, you know, 15 years later that most of them fail, you know, but I didn't want to have gastric surgery. I just didn't want to do that again. A lot of people get them reversed and it just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to I just gave up, you know, until this medication, seriously. And it has changed my life completely. It was like before especially with the binge eating, it was like I was in, I only had drive, like if I'm a car and all I had was drive. So just drive and drive was just eat, 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 consume, 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 eat, 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 eat. When I started taking the medicine and the food noise went away, I could gear shift, you know, like Mm -hmm. I could go, do I really want that? No. And I had moments where I would think, oh my God, like I'm actually, (laughs) I'm actually just wanting that, that thing. It's not actually a craving. I'm connecting to a memory. Right. I'm connecting to a memory I had of how that made me feel when I was doing blank, you know, and mm-hmm. being able to have these realizations or when I was eating, if I would eat something that tasted good and I would say, I would go, oh, my God, like, ooh, I want more of this. And then my brain would go, you know, we only just started eating this. It's right. good. Let's finish it. And then if we want to eat more, we can have some more. My brain don't work like that, y'all. It just don't. So it blew my mind, just these behavior changes and everything. Also, my anxiety, gone. Like, it is completely gone. I'm not even sure I'm actually bipolar. I'm really not. Now, that's a big-ass statement. But I'm not sure I am. I, I think that I wasn't regulated right. I wasn't working right and haven't for a really long time. And it's just gone. So this has for sure been a, quote, miracle medication for me in a way that it's changed my life to the point where even if I didn't lose another pound, if it was safe, Mm. I would take it forever if it was safe. So right now it is. And this is kind of how we're going. But that is my story and how I got here. And I know we bumped around a lot, but, you know, I like to flow. So (laughs) that's that. Any questions? Anyway, that's kind of how things have gone for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're probably at a good place where we can bring in Dr. Albert and start putting him in the fun hot seat and asking questions. So. How do you guys feel about that? Absolutely. Let's have oh, and did you show our mascot? Did you show our mascot? Oh, I did. Yeah. The AT alien? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's our mascot. AT alien. <laughs> 
with the Prince. Because we're all in Atlanta, you know? Yeah. So, cool, cool. All right. Let's invite on Dr. Michael Albert. Here we go. Welcome, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks Hi, for Dr. having Albert. me. Albert. Yeah, hey, we're so welcome. glad to have you. So, Dr. Albert, I'm sure that you could introduce yourself a little bit better than I can. Can you tell us a little bit about what your specialties are and how you found TikTok and how that's been going and also how you started focusing on obesity and medications? And that would just be really cool to understand. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. Yeah, thank you guys for having me first off. Super yeah. excited. And that was a wonderful introduction, hearing all your stories and, and getting to know a little bit more about your lived experiences and how medication and, and some of the advancements in therapy I'm sure we'll talk about today really changed your lives in a lot of I think yes. different ways too, which I thought was really unique in hearing how each of you related to that experience. But um, in terms of myself, so uh, I'm an internist. I'm an internal medicine physician by training. I did some additional specialization in obesity, and that was really motivated by you know for me because I saw a few things happening throughout my medical training, and one of those fundamental things was. The, this large, outstanding problem that was underlying a lot of the chronic health issues of Americans, of my patients, was not being addressed. And that yeah. was the metabolic disease. That was the disease of obesity or the obesity-related health issues. They just were being woefully neglected. And it never made sense to me that we focused so much on all of these downstream issues and that we really just turned a blind eye and placed the burden on patients to, to figure it out and reconcile it themselves. It never made sense to me. And so I really dug a lot deeper during my medical training and serendipitously through various uh, personal explorations, but as well as my mentors uh, in my training, fell in love with obesity medicine. And started treating people the way that I felt like they always deserved to be treated and mm -hmm. um, had fantastic results. Uh, I think a lot of my early patients shared very similar sort of aha moments like you all shared uh, very graciously. So I think for me, it was feeling like I was truly making a difference. I was helping people uh, like I had always signed up to do as, as being a physician. And um I think it, it sort of has picked up steam as we've reached this sort of inflection point within obesity where the medications and the interventions and treatment are finally catching up to our evolving understanding of the science of obesity. And we're starting to create and give access to these tools now that are changing people's lives. And that has been so 
uh, rewarding, and it's been such a privilege to be a part of that whole process. Now, it's not always a clean process, as I'm sure we'll get into some of the nuance <laughs> there, but it's it's been really nice to see because I think along with it, um, and this kind of feeds into what I do now, which is I, I run a telehealth medical way management practice called Accomplish Health. Um, what we're seeing now is there's just this whole dialogue shift around obesity. And while I say it's not 100%, you know, it's not 180 from where it was, it's so much better. It's so much healthier. People are talking about obesity, the disease, and these weight and, and unhealthy weight in ways that sort of honors and respects people uh, as uniquely separate from their disease and their struggle, but also understands the health implications and the science and how we can start to benefit people and talk about it differently. And I think a way that helps to remove a lot of the stigma and bias that has long plagued people who've really struggled with unhealthy weight. So, you know, I think it's just a really exciting time to be in around this. Um, It's as exciting as it's ever been to be someone who is dealing with this very real health issues or related health issues, because we now have tools, we now have proven tools that are safe and effective. And that's just a wonderful thing because I, I know so many people, including many of my followers, um, I'm sure we'll talk more about sort of the social media aspect, but so many people that I've talked to directly as patients or as followers have said, listen, I've lived an entire lifetime without access to treatment. And this is just a world of a difference yeah. being able to finally have something that, like you said, um, turns that noise off, helps helps to yeah. correct some of these biological issues and and it feels like a brave new world. And I think that's really special to be a part of. Yeah, that's awesome. I do love one of the videos that you have where someone was like, please make this a sound. And you were like, obesity (laughs) is a disease, period. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, as I always say, let the people in the back know, right? Because uh, I can't say it loud enough. I can't overemphasize it enough. Uh, It's time to change the narrative. Obesity is a disease. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something that we can all embrace and take our own sort of level of responsibility and managing head on. And us as medical providers and as healthcare providers need to take it upon ourselves to be willing collaborators. I think to be open to the idea that maybe our conceptions around this whole concept were wrong for many years. And I think I think that's going to really help move the 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 dialogue forward and saying, hey. I'm willing to learn. I want to work with yeah. you. I want you to get better. We want to have because because it's gonna it's gonna be important for all of us to be part of this journey together and and uh, and to move it forward. So I, yeah, I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I I will not emphasize it enough. I will until people get sick and tired of hearing me. I will keep saying, "Be oh no, say it then too." Please, absolutely. <laughs> say it loud for the people in the back. Yes, louder. (laughs) This is for sure one of our ways of getting louder. So especially there are still people that are not on TikTok. And if for some reason we don't have TikTok anymore and we got to migrate to new platforms, then we'll do that. Mm -hmm. But this is also a really good way for us to reach people who aren't even thinking about the world of social media and like podcasts. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Dr. Albert, you mentioned um, like how obesity medicine has changed over the last 20 years. Um, could you give us any like specifics, um, things, maybe things that are um, like great things and things that could need a little improvement? Um, and where is it going in, you know, in the next maybe 20 years? 
Yeah, um, great question. Big question. So I, I think, you know, I want to break it down into a few parts so it's easier for everyone sort of to wrap their heads around. First off, it's about how we talk about a disease, uh, you know, obesity, the disease, a chronic disease that is, if neglected, like it's historically been neglected or undertreated, can be progressive and can relapse. And so I think this is really important to understand the basics around the science of obesity, that if it is untreated, it can get worse and yep. it can come back, meaning people can do very well in managing uh, the disease, but but the disease can keep coming back. And that's part of this larger and broader discussion about of obesity. When we talk about obesity now, it needs to be understood through that framework, that it is a long-term chronic health problem that people will live with and have to deal with the rest of their lives. Does not mean they are a victim. Does not mean that there aren't things they can do to own it so that it they, they, they feel like they can take back some of the control as you guys are alluding to. Yeah, right. But it means they need to have that realization that this is going to be something that they will have to deal with in a meaningful way. Now, where the science is headed, where it's been and where it's headed, this right. is really fun. And I love talking about this because as our understanding has evolved, we know that there are a lot of systems, biological systems that live within us that comprise and make up all that is our sort of weight and our fat and all of these other tissues and organs. And what we know now is that there are particular systems that can influence our weight in meaningful ways. And one of those realizations was through this discovery of this hormone called GLP-1, which has gotten a lot of attention in many of the brand forms like Ozempic, Saxenda, I've heard you guys talk about that today. And that is this, that some of these newer small molecule peptides, these little proteins, if we can give you a sort of artificial or synthetic form of that, it can in many ways heal the body and help the weight system that is not working correctly sort of roll back the hands of time in terms of the way it should biologically function. And as a product of that, by sort of helping the body to heal this broken weight system, people often, and you guys may share this similar experience, will lose weight and get to a much healthier weight in a way that maybe was easier than they ever have historically. And that's because of what? It's because these treatments that we are delivering and many that are coming in the pipeline, these hormonal therapies, what they're doing is helping the body to react normal again, right? React in a more, in a more normal sense. And the weight is a product of this fixing of biology. And I, and I think this is a really important point to underscore because it is, it is changing. It's inverting sort of the, the, the way people conceive obesity. And that is behavior leads to gaining of weight. And that's why you have obesity. What we know obesity to be true now is that the biological dysfunction, this broken weight system is driving a lot of the weight gain. And then if you fix the weight system, naturally the weight will settle out in a much healthier level. And so excess weight, unhealthy weight, the weight related health problems are a consequence of the disease and not vice versa. And so that, that is flipping the understanding that if we treat the disease, weight follows, but weight in many cases is a byproduct of this biological dysfunction. 
Say goodbye to restrictive weight loss methods and hello to iVeeam, the number one prescriber of GLP-1 medications. GLP-1s curb cravings, stabilize blood sugar, increase energy, and balance A1C levels to regulate your body and kickstart your weight loss journey. iVeeam is committed to making medical weight loss accessible, affordable, and customized because we believe that's how it should be. Sign up for free and get 20% off our accessibility programs. Awesome. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That it's exciting thing is coming down the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I do think that what is cool too, and we can touch on it because you led into it so nicely, um, is that we have these, and this is just how I see it. In, you know, I'm in marketing. I don't really know, you know, but it seems like, you know, we've had GLP ones, we have all this data for, you know, 20 years and it seems like scientifically they're just starting to perfect them. Right. Which is why we see, each time one of these comes out, it almost has better results for those who are struggling with obesity. Like for example, with Manjaro, right? Um, with that having that double agonist. And um, I think that we also have that triple agonist one that's kind of in the works. And it seems like over the next two years, you know, that I think that we're almost gonna have more options available, which is a big deal because we already know that it's these medications are very expensive and all insurance has covered them, which we'll go into in a little bit too. Um, but I think that it's important for us to know that they're it's almost, and that's why I called this cracking the code of the obesity, because I feel like I feel like that's what this has done, you know, um, is really going, oh, this is how we do this. Like, you know, and we just didn't know before. So thank you so much for for sharing that. Jenny, did you have I know you had a question you were wanting to ask. Thank you. Yes, yeah. Dr. Albert. Uh I am, as I said uh, in the notes about myself, I am a type two diabetic and that's, you know, something that I had to embrace because for the longest, I didn't even want to admit that I was diabetic. Uh, but with type two diabetes, how are type two diabetes and why are type two diabetes and obesity so closely related? Yeah, that's a great question. I think our understanding of the connection be the, between the two has really, really um, progressed and evolved over the really the last 10, 15 years. So on some level, type 2 diabetes is a form of obesity. I'll repeat. Wow. On some level, type 2 diabetes is a form of obesity. It is what we would call an obesity-related disease. And, and let me explain that and jump into that a little bit more to pro provide context. So for the longest time, we understood type 2 diabetes to be uh, come in several variations, but generally to follow this path, that people develop worsening insulin resistance in their body, their blood sugars go up, their insulin levels oftentimes go up as a response to this resistance that's developing in the body. And over long periods of time, often decades, the pancreas, which is the organ that produces insulin, will fail. And, and those cells that produce insulin will die. And many people with very progressive type 2 diabetes often end up resembling physiologically the way that their biology works, much like a type 1 diabetic over time, which is why we would often say insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes or what. It basically represents a very similar state as type 1 diabetes. Now, why did I say that on, on, in many ways, type 2 diabetes is a form of obesity? And that is this. 
we are understanding obesity and type 2 diabetes to be something a little bit different than what we originally um, conceived them to be. And that is this. So much of how your body manages and handles energy and fuel is entirely dependent on your genetics. And we know, based upon that handling of fuels or handling of energy, that people will vary in terms of their ability to handle different nutrients, to handle energy storage, handle all of these considerations around metabolism. And some of it varies by ethnicity, some of it varies by sex, by age, so on and so forth. But what we know to be true is that there are some individuals who do, who do not handle the extra storage of energy or fat, because fat is our storage you know, tissue. They don't manage that or handle that very well. And so what normally happens is anytime someone needs to store energy away, it gets stored in the form of fat in what's called the subcutaneous depots, which a lot of people know this is your hips, these are your thighs, your legs, your butt, every, you know, it's all over your body, right? But the yeah. ability for your body to handle this storage and to have a storage capacity is mostly determined by your genetics and some other genetic factors. And for some people, that storage capacity is very finite and is limited to a very small amount. And if they reach that storage capacity, their body is no longer able to store fat in a healthy way. And what happens is this, you get this spillover effect where fat begins to be deposited into various organs and, and causes this effect called lipotoxicity, which we know to be directly involved in the development of type 2 diabetes. And so that type 2 diabetes on some level is due to this sort of development of overfat or excess fat being deposited into other parts of the body. And that's also why we see uh, certain ethnic groups, like people of South Asian descent, develop diabetes and develop what we would call clinical obesity at lower body weights and at lower BMIs. And it's because their genetics do not allow them to manage these metabolic fuels, to manage this energy storage in a way that is very favorable and accommodating. And so type 2 diabetes is a form of insulin resistance, is a form of metabolic derangement. And part of what we know now to be critical and inciting factor is this lack of storage capacity of the body being mm -hmm. overfilled with fat and the fat then depositing into various organs, which causes a lot of the fundamental dysfunction that we know to be associated with type 2 diabetes. So it is not a surprise that 80% um, of people with type 2 diabetes also have been identified as having obesity. I would argue it's a hundred percent because if you're going, if you were going to identify them based on real clinical measures that we know to be true, not just what we call anthropometric measures, which are right. very flawed, just looking at BMI and weight, but looking at all these physiologic parameters, mm -hmm. then I would argue a hundred percent of the people with type two diabetes or near a hundred percent, shouldn't say a hundred percent, but close to a hundred percent have clinical obesity as well. And type two diabetes for the vast majority of people are a form of obesity. So that so was really a very long-winded answer to, to sort of your question, but that's how yeah. they're related. So when people that's say awesome. you're only treating type 2 diabetes or you're only trying to treat obesity, you're treating what is otherwise very shared biological right. function. Yeah. That's really fascinating. No wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
That Thank is fascinating. You for that. Thank you for Thank that. You. Yeah. Yeah. I like today. Yes. I think what's interesting too, and I think we, we gotta ring up the media, y'all. We gotta do it. We gotta do it. Um, is that the media has been spinning for quite a while now that um the how dangerous this is because people that are obese are taking these skinny shots and you know people are, are taking it away from from diabetics who are the most deserving and these are just fat people that just need to get willpower and these fat people and this is the narrative right these fat people that are lazy and they just need to eat less and move more and and that there's a shortage and the shortage is all caused because of the fat people and just that's the narrative that's out there right yeah. now and so people are thinking that that is what's happening. And for the most part, at least from what I've seen, and maybe you have a good perspective on this, definitely a different one than I do. It seems like the people that maybe are taking it for 10 pounds of vanity, I don't know why you'd want to do that. But the people that maybe are, that are going that route seem to be few and far between. And it does seem like the majority of the people that are taking it are taking because because of some sort of metabolic disorder. And so that stigma that's out there is just crazy, <laughs> you know? And like, I just, I, yeah. you explaining the fact that it's almost like, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you're treating obesity for people who haven't hit the diabetic diagnosis yet, like ho hopefully ever, it's almost like you're treating the progression of the same disease. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fair. Um, it's, you know, for some people, they may never go on to develop the metabolic dysfunction necessary to have truly elevated blood sugars that would qualify them for having type 2 diabetes, but it's shared biological dysfunction. So it's no surprise that the same drugs that treat type 2 diabetes are also effective in treating obesity. And I yeah. think what's the real harm here is that the implication from all of the framing that you described that is being done on behalf of the media is that if you're taking it for some reason other than type 2 diabetes, you're obviously abusing it and inappropriately using the medication. And I think a lot of my work is, is trying to reframe that and educate people that, listen, on, on, on many levels, we're treating the exact same disease or at least the right. exact same dysfunction. Right. And that's why both groups of people benefit. And sometimes yes. the people overlap. They have both yeah. identifiable obesity as well as type two diabetes in this sort of classical sense, right? And so I, I think it, it's much to do about nothing. I think you're right in that the number of people who are truly taking it inappropriately and who are truly misusing it is a much, much smaller portion of the population than individuals who are using it correctly, but maybe they're using it for another, you know, appropriate metabolic related or obesity related indication. And I think my frustration is, why can't we get all the people who deserve it access to treatment? Why do we have to put up, you know, barriers and silo who gets what? I mean, it's ridiculous, yeah. right? 100%. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And like, I think that the, and it seems to be, a, I think a little bit better um, now mm -hmm. that there is a little bit more affordability, but I was a part of like groups where like type two diabetics and those that were obese were just attacking each other. And it, yeah. cause it was just like, we need our medicine. And people are saying, oh, we need our medicine to live. And we're all like, no, this isn't life sustaining medication, right? Like, and there are many, and like you, I know you said one of your videos, there are many other 
you know, um, GLP-1 medications that a type 2 diabetic can leverage. They just prefer to use the ones like we prefer to use is because right now those are kind of the best in class, you know, in terms of what we're trying to to accomplish. So I think that it's important like during this transition, because I'm sure there'll be more shortages, like there's a national medication shortages. They're not um, yeah, so I think that it's something to consider. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that we all just start to realize that everybody has the right to have their illness, their chronic medical illness treated, you know, and if there isn't enough medication, it's because the manufacturers aren't making enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, listen, we're, we're all on the same team. Everybody's yeah. trying to get the, the treatment they deserve. You know, it's it's not like some people are out to get others. Like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think, yeah. um, you know, we have to be careful with the framing because it seems as if some people are less deserving. And I don't know that that's appropriate, appropriate or right, frankly, yeah. right. On, on a basic right. level. And so, listen, we're all trying to help each other. We're trying yes. to promote, you know, better and healthier conversations about the struggle that everyone's going through. And, and at mm -hmm. the end of the day, um, I think I think that's right. I think it ultimately is about getting more access to more effective treatments for the people that need it at the time they need it. Right. And and so it's going to take all our efforts, whether it's um, improving access from a public policy standpoint, advocating mm -hmm. in your local government um, or at your employer with your HR benefits you know, department. Um, it's going to take all these efforts and and, you know, they will be realized and people will benefit from our collective effort to improve um, health equity, to improve access to treatment. So, yeah, I think that's, that's great. great. I mean, and it's just like you mentioned when you were explaining all of this and why it works for those who are obese and those who have type two. At the end of the day, we have way more in common than we do you know, differences. We have, we have way more things to want good things for each other than we do like coming at each other. It's just not healthy. So thank you for explaining that medically. I appreciate that. Um, Kat, I think you had a question. I do. I have a question. Well, first and foremost, I do feel like a lot of this this movement is starting to give us this death to diet culture, um, <laughs> which yes. I know a lot of us, it's, <laughs> man, phew, and I know there's a, there's a trend online like called Almond Moms, and I'm pretty sure that's, you know, that could have been what, oh, I'm sorry, I was blank, uh, what happened here. Um, but I my question for you is the perspective on, like, say, diet culture. Do you think that this could be what's stemming from like this type two diabetes versus obese, or um, even like changing the narrative with um, within the medical community. Is it is there a, a trail of diet culture in there, and how will that in turn? Do you see that maybe it's fighting its fight to stay alive because um, monetarily it's still it was it's been very beneficial in the past. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a hard it's a hard thing to get perspective on. I'll do my best here, but obviously there has been this culture around dieting and restriction that has been interwoven into sort of the weight narrative, um, and that was because of financial incentives um, that were in place around promoting diets. Yeah, um, I don't like really even using the term diet because like. If you're talking about what it is that we're trying to accomplish, we're really talking about helping people to improve the way they live their lives, right? It's really more akin or aligned with a lifestyle change than anything else. You know, you're eating yeah. in a dietary pattern 
that is more health promoting. You know, your, your nutrition is more health promoting diet carries so much of this baggage that you've alluded to from a, an era that is, uh, if it's not dying, it, you know, outright it, it is in the process of, of being finished off. And I think that um, we're trying to move beyond that and we're trying to embrace, embrace really sort of really good perspectives on health, health behavior, sort of holistic wellness and in trying to shed ourselves of some of this legacy bias and narrative that I think really plagued the weight narrative for a long time and, and caused a lot of people to internalize a lot of shame and guilt when they felt like they weren't able to deliver on the health promises that, that uh, people facilitating those diets made. So I think, I think it's, it's moving beyond as, as our understanding has evolved, our empathy and our dialogue should evolve with it as well. And I think that yeah. that's too, just really a commentary of broader society, you know, it's yeah. just progress. Yeah. And I think we are yeah. in this, in this moment, have we gotten all the way through? No, but we are <laughs> in this moment and we are at this inflection point where we need to evolve the narrative and the dialogue and the way that we talk about eating, healthful eating, um, nutrition, lifestyle, it needs to evolve with it. And, and the shame and blame game and over restriction, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really have a place. Yeah. You know, no, I, yeah. 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 I totally agree. I mean, when I first I started, because I am like the queen of diets, um, I, I literally was like, oh, I'm eating like 800 calories a day. And that's so great because you're supposed to eat a thousand. And that's fine because that's what diet culture says. No, I was quite malnourished and having a lot of issues, but it's because that was my mentality. But I had to, I I learned a lot from TikTok and from other people saying like, you're really hurting yourself eating that. And so I was like, talk to my doctor, went lower on my medication, found a way to think about my calories in a different way. Like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to ensure that I'm eating enough calories, right? It's a different mind shift that I was able to make, you know, and I'm thinking more about like nutrition first. And if I want an Oreo, I'm going to have an Oreo, but first I'm going to feed my body the fuel. Right. And I think that's been a better way to, for me to kind of how I've done it personally to shift is I think about moving my body. I think about nourishing my body. I go to therapy as well, because there's a lot of that, no matter how much weight you lose, there's a lot of baggage there still. Like it don't just disappear. The weight between you know, ears. Working through all of that. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I look at it as opposed to like the diet piece. Cause I do think that that has been at least incredibly traumatic for me, um, you know, being on a diet since I was eight, you know? So um, yeah, I was just kind of curious what you saw with that because we did see the Weight Watchers acquisition of a telehealth obesity practice. And a lot of us, including myself, were a little up in arms about that. Um, and I hope, I hope that that will change in a positive way in a positive way instead of a restrictive negative way. Um, and maybe we'll move the whole idea of, you know, moving this idea of, of, um, of obesity and removing that stigma forward um, as opposed to backwards. So I'm like fingers crossed on that, but jury's still out. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's, you know, we'll see, but I, Listen, I, in my opinion, I think the trains left the station, right? Yeah. Like I, I think people can get on board or they can be left behind. That's sort of how I operate. And so that's why I'm pretty bold with my proclamation. But I, I think the reality is people will evolve. They will get up with the times. They will jump on board or they'll be left behind. And, and businesses for whom there is a financial incentive 
to get on board yeah. and to evolve their internal narrative and the way that they discuss and manage these things publicly, they, mm-hmm. they will have to evolve or they will die themselves. So I, I think, listen, uh, as I would say, the train has left the station and uh, um, we're not we're not looking back. Like every, yeah. we're all moving forward and, and people right. can join us or they can be left behind. <laughs> totally. Definitely. Definitely. Kat, I know you had um, a question around some, I think, education um, that you wanted to ask and and that, having people advocate for themselves um, to Dr. Albert. Oh, uh, yes. Well, that's it's been um, my story. So um, I think weight shame has kept me away from taking care of myself, keeping me away from the doctor's office because the shame. Um, but... I guess what, what I want to um, ask you is to what what can we t- tell our listeners um, what kind of tools to have in their back pocket to utilize um, advocating for themselves um, with their doctors? Um, just I know the experiences that I've had was like, well, you exercise all the time, so just don't eat. And well, that's, you know, um, that's not possible. But um, what are some of the tools? And then also, if you have like resources, networks, um, maybe networks of people who are are members that you know, um, are in that community that are, um, I would say, lean towards uh, basically people who don't have a weight bias when you're um, with uh, in the medical community, because as you know, that's there's a, a big weight bias. But basically, how to advocate uh, for yourself and uh, any networks that we can send yeah. our people to. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. So um, a great resource that I would encourage everyone who's interested in this space, whether from a patient perspective, provider, etc., is the Obesity Action Coalition. It is the preeminent patient advocacy group at a national level. They actually hold uh, seminars and national virtual meetings um, that are free and are open. You can also contribute to their public advocacy work. You can be involved in their local chapters. And they have a ton of resources through the OAC, OBC Action Coalition. They have a ton of resources through their website and through their, their, the various platforms that they interact with um, that can provide some insight on these difficult or challenging um, you know, obstacles for many people that to navigate. And, and I think they also have an ability to connect people with doctors who are maybe more experienced, um, who are going to be more understanding or be have a higher level of education on the topic. So it's another great resource if that is your end goal is to find a provider that could benefit you and, um, you know, maybe be a more a collaborative partner. Um, and, and then I think it's, listen, this is hard because I get this question all the time from followers. How do I find a doctor that, that will help, like will really help me? And I think that, you know, there is, there is a, a point where you have to advocate for yourself and be open and um, try to give that doctor, either the one you've had a longstanding relationship with or that new doctor, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, because I think if it's, if, if you are coming with a lot of the historical baggage from the mistreatment of others and you're bringing yeah. that into this conversation, it's going to be hard to have a very therapeutic relationship. It just right. will be. Right. And, it will, and on some level, it's not fair to the provider to, to put that on them. 
But if you're open with them, if you're willing, if you've done research, maybe through social media or some of these groups that uh, you guys are involved with and are presenting this as like, listen, this I, I'm trying to help myself. I, are you open to helping me? And they are unwilling to have even a, a reasonable conversation about that. At some point, you have to do what's best for yourself and find another doctor. And I know that's a, I know that's hard. And I know some people have been with providers for a long time. Um, and maybe it just means you work on this specific issue with someone else. Yeah. But uh, sometimes there, you know, there's a breaking point and people have to do what's best for themselves. And if their providers aren't going to be that that partner uh, in their health, then then they have to find someone else that will be. And so it's tough because there are a lot of layers to this. But that's generally what I say is, you know, you've got to come in with an open mind, educated and, and, you know, try to foster some type of collaboration. If your part, your, your, your practitioner or provider is not willing to work, then you need to find someone else because that's what you deserve. Yeah. At a level, you yeah. deserve that. And so, the, you know, yeah. so you don't need to hold out for any more uh, bias. You don't need to hold out for, you know, uh, you need to do what's best for you. If that is a, if that's a possibility for you, because I know our healthcare system is complicated, but uh, yeah. You know, that's what I would say about that. Indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. So um, I think we're getting closer on time and I know that you need to mm -hmm. probably get back to seeing some patients. Um, but I would love for you to share with us where people can follow your work, um, where you are on social, um, the website address of your practice, etc. So if they want to follow up with you, they can. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me, by the way. Um Thank you. Once again, I'm Dr. Mike Albert. I talk across social on, at Michael Albert MD. We talk about patient advocacy. We talk about the latest in science. I know we touched on some of that, but there's so much in development that's really exciting to talk about. We don't quite have access to it yet, but I think it it once again sheds light on this sort of new horizon that that we have to realize. Um, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, pretty much every social. Um, my medical practice is Accomplish Health. You can find us at, at Join Accomplish. And um, we're taking patients. We're mostly located right now on East Coast states, but we have a great team. So if you're interested in working with us, um, you can send a, us a message or fill out our form on our website, www.accomplish.health, and we'd be happy and fortunate to work with you. So thank you all That's for awesome. having me. I really do appreciate the time. And uh, it's fun. Thank you. It's been awesome. And we'll have you back once those uh, more studies and data, if you want to come and talk more about it, because we like to geek out on it. So we're excited to have you back. Yeah, Absolutely. Back. Anytime. Appreciate it, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. Thank Bye, you. Dr. Have a great one. You. Thanks. All right. So that was awesome. That was great. Beyond yeah. awesome. I think that my mind was blown. I'd never heard diabetes explained that way. Yeah. And in terms so of scientific. The, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, but in a way that we could get right. Like it, right here. It wasn't here. It was right was like very, very digestible, but also obesity because that disease has so many layers and, yeah. and it's just like, wow. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought it was really, really helpful. So hopefully he'll come back and geek out with us a little bit more on the science. So 
I, love I would love it. to geek out with him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right? Yeah. I know. But yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think we all, we talked about how we're going to sign these things off when we have them. And we all have sort of like quotes and things you want to say um, mm-hmm. that we hope kind of inspire you, there, that inspire us. Um, and Kat had one in particular. <laughs> My favorite is words to live by because I'm a baker. And you'd think when you say that you, when I say it, you're like, who? <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. Um, it wasn't uh, a direct quote, but these were all her things um, that were in her mantras, which is uh, never quit, always be yourself, and never put too much flour in your brownies. <laughs> yeah. Get a Catherine Hepburn oh, brownie, it will change your life, or I'll make you some. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I can only have like one or two. Yeah. Because, exactly. you know, no, they are I can't very digest much. that much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. What about you, Jardine? Do you have one you want to share or any closing thoughts? You know, one thing, the one saying that my grandfather always used to say, and I guess the older you get, the more it makes sense. He said, he would always say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, for sure. A marathon. And I think it is for this medication, people that think it's especially like that it's going to just melt their fat and solve all their problems. Like it isn't, there's work to right. be done. The difference mm-hmm. is that it just enables you and frees you so that you can do what you always wanted to do, you know? Exactly. exactly. So, and it is a marathon. Like you didn't get to this weight overnight. Certainly I didn't, you know? So it's none of us did take some time to get it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And awesome. And, and, well, and allow me uh, grace. Yeah. yeah. Allow yourself some grace and extend grace to others. I oh, totally yeah. think that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think um, we'll come to a close here. We've probably taken up quite a bit of your time. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. We'll have another one coming mm-hmm. up soon. We're going to drop them every week. I'm not sure what day yet because I'm learning how to edit. <laughs> so hang with us. <laughs> but the one thing that I would want everyone to know is something that I've learned um, is that if you're out there and you're not a part of the community, or even if you are, if you struggle with obesity, if you struggle with type 2 diabetes and obesity, if you're struggling with other metabolic d- disorders and maybe you don't want to go see your doctor, because you have aversion because of all the years of kind of feeling like maybe you were let down. Mm -hmm. I just want you to know that you are not alone. There are a lot of us out there and we are on social, we're on Facebook, we're on TikTok, we're on Insta. Mm -hmm. Come and join our community and just know like it is not your fault. There is help for you and you are not alone. So don't, don't let that shame keep you from actually getting to a point where you actually would, you would feel healthy and good about your body and good about your mind and your spirit and your soul, because that is for sure what we all want. So feel free to reach out to us. We are a very open community. You can follow us on social um, and you can, of course, tune into the podcast. And if you're interested in coming on and telling your story, we would love to hear from you. All right. Absolutely. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you Thank next you. time. Hasta la pasta. See you next time. <laughs>